You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. Thanksgiving is here this Thursday. We're going to be gathering together with our, friend, with our family. Maybe some of us like us will be our friends. And we will halt kind of the normal day's activities. We won't get to go to work. We get, we get schools out. And we'll get to pull up to the table and celebrate that special day together with our friends and family. Focus on gratitude. And that's really the whole point of it. And my prayer for us this week, church, is that as we approach this day, the whole reason even we do this is, is to help us understand that gratitude should not be an afterthought of Thanksgiving but really it's what drives us to the table of Thanksgiving. And so this morning, uh, like I said it before, I love Thanksgiving. Um, I do have a lot of nostalgia in it. I have a lot of memories of growing up, going to my grandparents' house and uh, sitting and eating turkey and dressing, watching the Cowboys lose, typically. Um, And um, this is our year, but probably not. Um, But I I found a little uh, story that I love to start out this morning that kind of resonated with me as a little boy growing up in Thanksgiving. And this is a story I found. It says, a little boy offered up a Thanksgiving prayer for the family and prayed, dear God, this is Caleb. Thank you for Thanksgiving. It's a pretty good place to start. Thank you for turkey and dressing and for mom and dad and even my little sister, even though sometimes she's a pain. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for my television. Thank you for my Xbox. Thank you for loving us. Oh yeah, please take care of yourself, God, because without you, we're sunk. Amen. And though I probably wouldn't have phrased uh, the prayer that way myself, although I appreciate the honesty, uh, there is a lot of truth in that prayer this morning, right? That without the Lord, we are sunk. Without Jesus, we are still lost and broken people in need of a Savior. And the goal of today really is to do one thing, and that is to help us as we push into this Thanksgiving week uh, push into this recentering and repositioning of our heart towards gratitude. If we accomplish one thing today, that's what I hope we walk out with is a recentering of all, all of our heart and mind and soul, every bit of us on this idea of gratitude. So today to help us do that, I would love to just unpack a little bit of a very familiar passage, something probably whether you've grown up in church or whether you didn't grow up in church, uh, and that's uh, Psalm 23. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd love for you to open up Psalm 23. If you didn't bring them this morning, that's all right. As usual, the scripture is on the screen. Psalm 23 has kind of become known as a cultural icon of a passage of scripture in our society. What do I mean by that? Well, it's been quoted in several movies over the years, in television shows. It's been used in, 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 uh, in different songs, both sacred and mainstream. Um, it was even quoted by uh, former President George W. Bush on the evening of September 11th, 2001, just hours after the Twin Towers fell in New York City. Anybody remember that? But ultimately, Psalm 23 is a psalm of thanksgiving. And that's really our goal this morning, is that we can understand how Psalm 23 is a psalm of thanksgiving. It comes out of a, 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 a time of reflection in David's life, which we'll talk about here more in just a minute. But I want us to understand how, the psalm of, how Psalm 23 pushes us into this idea of gratitude as we approach Thursday this week. So you may have read it a thousand times, you may have seen it a thousand times, but I love to read it together. And we're not gonna have time to unpack all six verses this morning. But just to give us some context as we unpack this today, uh, let's read this together. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This fall, I've been tracking through some select psalms as part of my time with the Lord. And for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit keeps kind of drawing me back to this very particular psalm, Psalm 23. And see, and in reality, we could do a whole sermon series on just these six verses. They're just that rich, or just that packed with, with truth that we can pull things out of. But we don't have time for that in this season, and that's fine. But I would love for us just to anchor in really into one verse this morning. Just one verse that I want us to unpack as we push into this this Thanksgiving week, and that is the very first verse, Psalm 23, 1, that says this. Again, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Can we say that out loud this morning? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. See, many scholars feel that uh, David wrote this psalm on the very back end of his life. He had had a very full life, and as he is writing this, he's looking back over that very full life. We don't have time to unpack the full story of David's life again this morning, but let me give you a quick snapshot. He started, uh, he started out in the fields as a young boy, tending his sheep, wearing the role of a shepherd, and he quickly got promoted to a king. He battled even a giant even that time, and then he was promoted to king, and then uh, he had a lot of family drama in his life, battled with a lot of sin was pursued by his enemies and he's on the very tail end of his life and he's looking back and he's writing the psalm of thanksgiving as he reflects back and he says, starts out this psalm by saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And this morning, as we, in a little bit of time that we have, I would love to unpack and just kind of dissect this, this one verse into two and kind of get a glimpse into David's heart as to what he was feeling, what he was thinking, why he would even write such a psalm in his lifetime. I find it interesting as we start this psalm, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. And I find it interesting that he starts it with a metaphor. Now I'm a songwriter. I love songs. I study songs. I, I appreciate great songs. And I appreciate a great metaphor, right? A metaphor is, is, is a comparison of things, right? We compare something to something else. And here David is comparing the very God of the universe, the one who breathed life into his lungs as his shepherd. And in turn, he's, he's declaring that He's my shepherd, but so I am his sheep. And that applies to us too, right? We are his sheep. Have you ever noticed that that is the most awkward thing to be called as a body, that we are sheep? I've always wrestled with that. Why, why would God, of all the names that he could pick for us, he would call us his sheep? It's not the most fierce name that we, we could ever be given. And I started thinking about it. I did a little research. We're sports fans here in the Clayton household. We love baseball. Baseball is kind of our main sport. Um, Texas Rangers, go Rangers. Um, uh, we, we were football fans. I said, go Cowboys earlier. And we love basketball. We love it all. I'm a golfer. We're just overall great sports fans. Did a little bit of research this week and I tried to see if there was any professional sports teams known as the sheep. <laughs> Guess what? I didn't find any. Not a single baseball team, not a single basketball team, not a single hockey team. I could stand to be corrected. There's probably some deep minor league team that's known as a sheep somewhere out there. But everything I could find, there is, no, there is no professional sports team known as the Sheep. Now, here, here in Nashville, we have the Tennessee Titans, right? Now, that's a very, that's a very gritty name, right? Like, like, that's big. Like, that's fierce, right? And think about, think about the Chicago Bears. Like, I would not want to come up against a bear in the mountains of Gatlinburg because I do not stand a chance against that bear. He's fierce. Like, he's going to take me out. I will be his breakfast that morning, right? 
Uh, we're close to Atlanta. Maybe we have some Atlanta Falcons fans here, right? Nope. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> either way, I'm not going to stand a chance against that fierce bird of a falcon. He is going to rip me to shreds, right? That's a very fierce. Every one of those names, that even, names we didn't mention, is a very fierce name. It's an intense name. It's got a lot of brawn to it. But then there's us, known as the sheep. Sheep by nature are followers. They're dependent. They're timid. They're prone to wonder. Some have even argued, and I probably would have to agree, that sheep are probably the dumbest animal on the planet Earth. They are the kind of animals that tend to get themselves in messes time and time again and never learn a lesson about it. They are creatures that are easily swayed and convinced to go places they shouldn't. By nature, sheep are defenseless. They have no defense mechanism. They are restless. They can't sit sit still. They remain physically dirty until someone comes and cleans them up. When sheep fall on their back, which is called being cast, they actually cannot upright themselves. They have to have someone help them get up on their own, get up on their feet. Does this sound like anybody to you? Does this sound like us as the church? That's why God calls us. He wasn't trying to throw shade on us by saying, hey, you're my sheep. He knew in reality the truth of who we are. And he said, in order for you to be, if you're going to be my sheep, you're going to need a shepherd. You're going to need some help. And David knew exactly what he was saying when he said, the Lord is my shepherd. See, David was familiar with that role. David knew exactly all the responsibilities and roles of a shepherd. And when he's looking back at the very end of his life, he's saying, no, ultimately the Lord has been my shepherd. See, the shepherd occupation is one of the oldest occupations in human history. It's been around forever. It's still around today. And with it comes probably one of the most, um, well, challenging reputations, you could say. They were a very low-class citizen. They were very, they were very much untrustworthy. They, they were outsiders. You could say it was a dirty job. Mike Rowe would have loved them. But despite their reputation, they had a, a, another reputation of being very responsible. You see, the sheep that they guarded and that they led and that they watched over needed everything from them as a shepherd. There's nothing that they needed that the shepherd had to, that he had to provide. He had to provide everything for the sheep. Food, water, shelter, safe, safety, everything that that sheep needed, the, the, the shepherd had to provide. And here again, we have David calling the Lord his shepherd. See, again, David knew the role of a shepherd. He knew the responsibilities that it had that came along with it. And looking back, David started thinking about all the things that the Lord had been for him. He recognized that he had, in a shepherd, he had him as a giver. Someone that would provide his food, literally his water, his nutrition, his provision, his, his shelter. He was a giver. He was his provider. And David knew that in the, when he said, you are my shepherd. He knew that he had someone as a giver in his life. In fact, he writes a bunch of psalms. As you, if you comb through the psalms, you'll see a, a, a good bit of the psalms that we have out of the 150 were written by David. And he writes about these very things over and over and over again. In fact, in Psalm 145, verses 15 and 16, he says, The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. 
You open your hand and you satisfy the desires of every living thing. David knew that the role of a giver was an important role as a shepherd. And that's what the Lord was to him. But not only was he a giver, he was also his guide. Someone who would literally lead him and, and walk with him through the highs and the lows of life. Who would, who would keep him on the right and righteous path, as he often says in Scripture. Psalm 5.8 says, David writes, it says, Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. So he was his giver. He recognized the role of the guide of a shepherd, but he also recognized this role of a guardian. He recognized the role of a guardian. Someone who, who would protect David. Someone who would keep him from harm. Someone who would defend him when he needed defense. Someone, as he often wrote in, in the Psalms, would scatter his enemies. Psalm 18.2, as he writes, says this, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. You see, David trusted the Lord for these roles in his life. When he starts this psalm in Psalm 23, 1, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. He trusted that the Lord would come through in every single one of these roles. He was familiar with these roles. This is what he did for his own sheep. And now again, as he's looking back over his life, he's saying, no, the Lord has been this for me as well. My giver, my guide, and my guardian. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't want to glance over what, how David starts the very front part of that scripture when he says, the Lord is my shepherd. See, when we break down that name of God, the Lord, uh, when we take it back to the original context in the Hebrew, it actually means Yahweh. Yahweh was, is the most personal name of God that we have. In fact, the Hebrew people dared not to even speak it. It was just that holy and personal of a name. We first see it in Exodus chapter 3 when Moses is speaking with God through the burning bush and God literally calls himself, I am. And when you break down Yahweh to the very core of what it means, it means I was, I am, and I always will be. I was, I am, and I always will be. So when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, he is simply declaring the God that was and is and always will be is my shepherd. Always will be my shepherd. See, God is a 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week, 365-day God. And isn't it perfect that that's the role that the shepherd has to have as well? Every single thing that the sheep need comes from the shepherd and it requires a 24 hour day, seven day a week, 365 days of them. The Lord, the God that was always, that is and always will be is his shepherd. And what, a, what, a, what a, an amazing thought to think about church this morning, that the very God that David cried to and said, you are my shepherd is the same God that we can call our shepherd today. The God that was, that is, that always will be can be my shepherd. See, the care of the sheep is the calling of the shepherd. Our shepherd is always on time. He's always for us. He's not against us. He sees things we don't see. He defends us when we don't even know we need defending. The care of the sheep is the calling of the shepherd. And aren't you glad, church, that we have the good shepherd on our side? David goes on in the second half of this verse and says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Started looking up different translations of how different uh, 
different translations say this in, the, in, in their translation. It says in the NIV, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. That's pretty strong. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. The message says the Lord is my shepherd, I don't need a thing. I love the New Century trans, uh, translation. It says the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. But perhaps the one that resonates with me the most this morning is out of the Passion Translation. It says, Yahweh, my shepherd, I always have more than enough. I always have more than enough. As I was writing this week, I, many times I felt like the Spirit just said stop and just think and reflect, just as David reflected when he wrote this psalm. And I started taking kind of an inventory for, for me and my family. Karen and I have been married, 20, we'll be married 22 years this coming January. I'm 44, almost 45. And I haven't lived a lot of life compared to some of y'all, but I lived enough life to see the fingerprints of God and his faithfulness in my life, in our life. And I, I can tell you time and time again of how God has allowed us to always have more than enough. Uh, there have been times, literally church, when we have prayed over our years, God, we need a car. That may, seem, that, that may seem like, why would you ask? God wants to hear those kind of prayers, by the way. And I've prayed that. We've prayed that as a family. God, we need a car. And I can tell you time and time again, there's been a couple of times when God has provided finances for us to have a car. And there's literally been a time when a car has driven up in our driveway. We've always had more than enough. I think about early on in our marriage when, and, and sometimes now, but when, when times were tough financially, Right? Like there was more month than there was money, right? Yet God has come through in the most miraculous way, right on time, every single time, because the Lord is my shepherd. I always have more than enough. I remember growing up as a kid, I'm a pastor's kid, and my dad was in between ministry assignments at the time. And uh, in that same very lean season mentality, there was those times when months were very lean for us. And I remember getting just random, we, we got random money in our mailbox. We would literally get a phone call from a stranger. We wouldn't even know these people. They would call us and they would say, hey, go check your mailbox. And we'd go out there and there'd be money that would be enough to cover what we need for that month. That's an on-time God that always says we have enough. And there are two things I want, to learn, I want us to learn from David's heart. He was known as a man after God's own heart. And there are two things I want us to pull from the very back half of this scripture this morning. Kind of take a look and, and a glimpse into his heart and two things I want us to pull away. And the first thing is we read this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We see David's competence. See, David declares that because the Lord is his shepherd, he has full confidence that he will always have enough. We don't have time to, again, unpack uh, script, the, script, the rest of the scripture in verses two and three, uh, two through six. But I would love to just kind of, kind of just read it again very quickly. And I want you to catch the tone of which David wrote this in. Because it was a very confident tone. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You prepare a table before me and my cup is going to overflow. Surely, goodness and mercy. That word surely is a pretty confident word, right? 
Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, these aren't question statements this morning, church. David wrote a lot of Psalms where he asked a lot of questions. Why, God, have you forsaken me? Why have you left me in this pit? When will you rescue me? Why are my enemies breathing down my neck? He wrote a lot of Psalms like that. But he's on the back end of his life and he's looking back over his life and he's simply saying, nope, no more questions. I stand confident that my Lord is who he is. He is my shepherd. Pastor Charlie uses a phrase and he said it to me a few, over the years a lot and to our staff and maybe some of you. And I don't know if you, uh, if you coined this, but I always credit you. So the phrase is the, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. The best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. And we've kind of talked about it in terms of people, right? And how, we, how they line up in here and other places that we, that we talk about sometimes. And I get it. People can change. People can change their behavior. But our God is an unchanging God. He is constant. He is faithful. He is consistent. And because of his past behavior of faithfulness, we can be confident in his future, future behavior of, of, of faithfulness. Scripture, uh, we're given a lot of different scripture throughout the New and the Old Testament that can build our confidence in, in who God is. Think about Psalm 40. It says, as for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. Can we just pause right there for a minute and recognize the massive thought of that? That the very God of the universe who flung stars in the sky, gave him a name, who, who put ocean waves into motion, who with a very word spoke light into existence, has thought for me. You may think you're lost and forgotten and unseen this morning. Let that build your confidence this morning. That the very God of the universe takes thought for you. Psalm 37 says, I have been young and now I am old. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He's with us. He's for us. And when we pursue the kingdom and seek first the kingdom, he promises that he will add those things to us. He is always going to be with us. He's always going to walk with us. He's going to be our giver, our provider, our guide and our guardian. But perhaps the one I love the most, it says this in Philippians 4.19. Paul writes this. He says, and my God will supply every need according to his riches in the glory in Christ Jesus. You see, when we, when we make the shepherd, when we make the Lord our shepherd, we can rest in confidence that he will come through time and time again. So not only do we see, him, see David's confidence in the Lord, we also see his contentment in the Lord, his contentment. Church, one of the greatest tools the enemy uses against us, and by us, I'm saying us as individuals, us as families, and our marriages, and our career path, with our kids as we raise families, the greatest tool the enemy uses against us is that of comparison and discontentment. It's one of those silent tools that just creeps into our lives, into our relationships, and next thing you know, you, you're spiraling out of control because you are not content. We all fall prey to it. Not one of us in this room can say we've never struggled with that. It's easy to do. And in fact, discontentment was really the catalyst for the fall of man to begin with. If you go back to Genesis, you'll see that God created a perfect relationship with Adam and Eve and that of himself. I mean, it was perfect. 
a beautiful place, a perfect place, like utopia, Eden, right? He said they could eat from any tree they wanted to, except for one. But they wanted precisely what they did not have. They had everything they needed. God gave them the best, and it was God's best. It may not have been what they saw as best, but it was God's best, yet they lacked contentment. Contentment, we all know, is not built on things, possessions. Now, I love things. I'm a gadget guy. Like, I love technology. Like, I, I love the latest and greatest, but it's not built on those things. I've known a lot of wealthy people over my life, some that have managed and stewarded their, their, their wealth very well, and some that have not done that. And those are some of the most discontent people that I've known. Because I know at the end of the day, I've also stood in villages in India and Cambodia next to people who have more than, nothing more than the shirt on their back, maybe a, a small thatch hut, but yet they're worshiping their guts out with the joy of Jesus all over their face. See, contentment is trusting God's plan for your life, having an unwavering confidence in God's provision, and believing his peace far outweighs the world's problems. Blake, can you put that up there real quick? It says contentment is trusting God's plan for your life. Whatever that plan is, you trust it. Whatever path he takes you down, you trust it. And it's having an unwavering confidence, an unwavering faith in God's provision for you. And it's believing that the peace that passes all understanding, this world does not understand the peace that we have. But it's believing that the peace of God that passes all understanding will far outweigh anything the world throws at us. That is contentment. It's real easy for us church believers to, to fall into this pattern, the world's pattern of bigger, best, and more. But we're called a different mentality. And I want you to see that David experienced this idea of I lack nothing, I shall not want, I have more than enough because he lived a life that flowed out of heaven supply and not earthly supply. His confidence came because he lived a life out of heaven's abundance and not what the world could offer him. And the same is true for us this morning. It's getting our eyes off of the world's standard of living. It's getting our eyes off of the world standard of raising a family. It's getting our eyes off the world standard of pursuing a career. I'm not discrediting your hard work. I'm not discrediting what you've, which, where you've been in life. But there has to be a mentality for us to focus on this idea that we pull all of our confidence and contentment out of a heavenly supply and not an earthly supply. So when David says this scripture, and the worship team can come on up. When David says this scripture, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There's two things he is telling himself. He first says, there are areas in my life that only God can fulfill, and he will fulfill them. That's confidence. And the second thing he's telling himself here in this is I've made the decision not to desire anything outside of the scope of what God wants for me. And that's contentment. 
So we've sung a lot this morning, and I love that we get to worship together, and we've heard an amazing story of God's faithfulness, even through some of the most tough times. But I really wanted us to just kind of anchor into that part this morning as we unpack this one verse. You see, true confidence and true contentment in the Lord leads us to thanksgiving. It leads us to gratitude. When we're confident that the Lord is our shepherd, our natural response should be just gratitude. When we're confident and content in what he's given us and the scope of the life that we, which we walk in right now, that's contentment and that leads us to gratitude. There's nothing more, I said it from the very beginning, there's nothing more that I want and that we want for you as a staff here at Gateway Church than when you pull up to the table on Thursday with your family or friends. Again, gratitude is not an afterthought. It is what has propelled you to the table. That's why we've challenged you this morning with these very truths so that you can spend the next few days preparing your heart to not just eat turkey and dressing and move on to a football game, but to really rest in, in the confidence and contentment of the good shepherd. So I have two questions I think we need to wrestle with maybe over the next few days. One, where is your confidence in that God will be your provider? Where is your confidence that God will be your shepherd? Maybe the question for some of us is, who is my shepherd? We all have a shepherd. Something shepherds us all the time, but who is our shepherd? Is it the good shepherd? And the second one is a pretty simple question. Are you content? As you look at the scope of your life, are you content? What drives the things that satisfy you in your life? Are you caught up in the world's rat race of wanting the more? Or are you truly content with living in the scope that God has you in? It's kind of just that simple, although that's a lot of heart surgery for us to do this week. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. As response this morning, uh, we're gonna take and receive communion together as a body. We, uh, we have communion that's available every single week as part of our response, but collectively, uh, once a quarter, we love to take it together. And there's really two reasons we do that. Uh, one is uh, we're being obedient with, to what the Word of God says to do, to, to restop and to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. And so we want to do that together as a body. But two, I can think of uh, not, a, not a better way, and a more ground zero way, if you will, church, for us to just wrap our head around this idea of confidence in our shepherd and contentment in what God has us in. in. So I'm gonna ask the ushers to come on forward this morning as we prepare. And um, I'd love for you to take it as, as the plate's being passed this morning, the, take the elements, there'll be a cup that's nested into another cup with the juice and the cracker. And by the way, the cracker is gluten-free for those that may have a concern with that. But I'd love for you as the, as the ushers pass that, we just hold that. We're gonna, as a family this morning, take the communion together and I'll lead us through that when I come back. But Really take a moment this morning, church, to um, think about those two questions. Think about this one, this one verse. The Lord is my shepherd. Is he your shepherd? I shall not want. Are you content? So Father, this morning I, I asked as we have unpacked this, God, that you would do more uh, than just my explanation of it. God, that you would make it real and tangible for our hearts this morning. And God, as we take uh, communion together, God, will we, will we 
be most grateful for the body that was broken and the blood that was shed for us. Let this be a recentering time for us, Jesus. We're grateful. Pray these things in your name. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.